One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I think experimentation is necessary to move any industry forward, to move humanity forward. Somebody did something different, right? It changed who I am as a person, just doing something that's a little bit different, just trying. You don't know what you don't know, right? Hello, and welcome back to Beautiful Lives, the podcast in which I, Madeline Spencer, am joined by guests to share some of the challenges they faced and triumphs they've enjoyed during their life, as well as touching on the relationship between their inner and outer self and where beauty memories and rituals have had an impact. Today, I'm joined by the brand founder and makeup artist extraordinaire, Danessa Maricks. Her story is quite something. She grew up with busy parents and queens as one of 10 siblings, worked alongside her dad cleaning funeral homes, then did a stint at Burger King at 14, before working in nursing homes and hospitals and becoming the director of a nursing school aged 19. She then moved into makeup, where she taught herself and grafted hard. Fast forward to today, and Danessa is one of the most influential people in beauty, with an award-winning brand that's lauded by makeup artists and beauty fans the world over. I can't wait for you to hear her story. This episode is powered by Parfumado, the perfume subscription service who offer a smorgasbord of scent options from curated sets to personalized room sprays to gift cards. So if you've got a fragrance lover in your life, check them out. There's also a discount for listeners in the show notes, along with a link to my edit of Sense, and I'll tell you more about all of that during the break later in the episode. But now, let's go to Danessa. Danessa, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so pleased to have you on. You've been one of my dream guests since I started, so I'm very thrilled having you here. So no one told you how emotional I am because to say you say something like that and then I'm crying. So I'm glad this is not video. Like <laughs> I don't handle things like that very well, but I feel so honored to be here. Aww, you wouldn't be the first to cry. It's funny, beauty memories evoke such strong memories. So I'd be curious to, well, to ask you all of these questions. So let's start with you as a little girl. Where did you grow up? What was your family like? What was the culture of your household like? I lived in a, a working class neighborhood in Queens, New York. My father had his own cleaning business. And my first memories of my mom, she was working as a nurse attendant. And so their schedules were quite opposites. My uh, dad was gone all day. My mother was gone all night. So we were latchkey kids basically growing up letting ourselves in and out of the house for school and then experiencing our parents one at a time until Sunday. That's pretty much what it was like. I have nine brothers and sisters, so the house nine. was always full. Yeah. That's more than the Von Trapp family. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of my favorite movies, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's one of mine too. Can't get away from it. Love it. So where were you in that? I'm right in the middle very much a quiet, introverted child. You know, I studied and read books. My sisters and brothers were more outgoing and my friends usually were just their friends. You know, that's pretty much how it was. <laughs> and what about your mum then? So obviously she's working really hard, but is she someone you remember having a relationship with the way she looked? My mother is a goddess. I really wish that I had pictures of her from when I was a child, because she's just so beautiful. She was the tiniest little thing. Just everything about her was just so, just soft and gentle. Um, 
And that's pretty much the spirit of how I experienced my mom my whole life. Like she was just a giver. And so much of my life, she was the person who you come home one day from school and there's a homeless person at the dinner table or, you know, another family member was ill. So all of their children were at the house. She's giving away, you know, our bread and cheese to the neighbor down the street who has less. Like she was the biggest giver. We also had lots of foster children just throughout my childhood. You know, so my full length memories of her have just been like, she's an angel. She's she's always looked like an angel to me. (laughs) What was Queens like? We were in a working class neighborhood and literally if we lived a few blocks away from where we were, our experience would have been very different growing up. My mom like championed for us to be able to go out of the neighborhood into, you know, more affluent neighborhoods to go to school. And I think that honestly changed the trajectory of our lives my experience growing up and the the other kids in the neighborhood, they have very different lives than we did. When you're in a better school, you know, you get to pay instruments and you just, your life is fuller and you're exposed more. So from a very early age, I got to see more than what was just around me. But it also kind of amplified everything else. Most of my life, I was the only, like the only Black child the only person who had natural hair in my class. I was the only person that didn't have any friends in the neighborhood. I was the only, the only, the only. Like, there's pros and cons that come with new opportunities. But I do think that the path that she paved for us as children just gave us an opportunity to break out and think differently and experience the world differently than generations before. And what what were you dreaming of doing when you grew up? So my first desires were like to be a teacher. I always wanted to be a teacher. And I wanted to be a teacher and right up until being a senior in high school when I found out how much teachers make. You know, I got a scholarship and it was like, okay, for every year of school, you had to do two years of work. And so I researched the salaries and I'm like, I'm going to just be poor for another 20 years. It was honestly devastating to me because it was like my deepest desire. Like I played school at home. Like I really wanted to be a teacher. I always got really good grades. I was at the top of my class and I was just like, now it's time. And I'm like, it was such a letdown. I kind of had to put that to the side. And so my mind really shifted to, you know, how how can I do better earning? And then eventually how can I just make something of my own? I wanted to be an entrepreneur. It's interesting that you figured out very early on as well that money is a power. And it's one of those things that I think when you're a kid, it's also tempting to be like, I don't care about money. I just want to do this thing. But money's important. Yeah. Yeah, because I spent my entire life being without it. And I've seen like, what happens when you don't have money? You can be the most amazing person, the most amazing human, be contributing to the world in such great ways. But if you don't have money, you don't have a house to live in. You don't, you, there's, you, there's lots of things you can't do. You can't, you know, join the basketball team because you can't afford the uniforms. You can't, like, there's so many can'ts, right? And these are like basic human needs, just the opportunity to be able to belong or the opportunity to just participate in just like, activities or just things that bring you joy. It's like, it just changes your life. So it was always clear to me that money was important, but it was also clear at the same time that it wasn't the most important thing. You've spoken a lot about spirit and enterprise and this kind of, um, this growing excitement in you for a future that you could create. But you so far said nothing about makeup or products or anything like that. Did they figure? Were you a child who was covetous? Did you look at products at all? 
No, not at all. I didn't even. So it's interesting because I was very disconnected to the world of beauty because I did never saw myself. You know, if it wasn't for my mother constantly saying, oh, you're beautiful, it would never like I always felt like the ugliest person. I was bullied and throughout my entire life, mainly for my skin tone or the texture of my hair or the clothes I was wearing. I, I don't remember a time in my life, including in my corporate life when I wasn't bullied. I never felt that sense of being beautiful growing up. It was something very foreign to me, but I did think my mom was beautiful. So I did watch her, you know, and how she put on her mascara and how she coveted her powder puff and compact and, you know, how she was obsessed with red lipstick. And um, I remember being in my junior high school years and, you know, all of the hormonal things that happened to you. And I, I had tons of acne, like I was plagued with acne. And so my mother really wanted to help me to kind of like find ways to cover it up. And when I tell you, we tried everything. There was nothing that was my skin tone. Um, and and But I still wanted, for me, like having something that didn't match was better than just the acne. And so I remember her, her having to take me to a theatrical store, um, the stage makeup. And it was like that, the cake makeup that, you know, you wet it and you put it on. So I basically look like a dead person <laughs> always. <laughs> <laughs> which probably added to the my bullying because I probably looked crazy. Um, but I do always remember my mother saying, makeup is expensive, but you should always have the red lipstick, she said. And then she said, you should always have like blue eyeliner. Brown eyes pop with blue eyeliner and it will make your skin tone pop. She always told me that. So I've been obsessed with blue for most of my life. And even in my makeup artistry, like blues and purples are like, I can't even get away from it. And I think that started with her. My first makeup purchases were blue mascara first from the dollar store. And then the second one was blue eyeliner. <laughs> if something big was happening, where's the blue mascara? Where's the blue eyeliner? <laughs> My mom um, has blonde hair and blue eyes, and she is also obsessed with blue eyeliner and eyeshadow because she loves ABBA and Debbie Harry. So to her, that was like the big thing. <laughs> right. And she passed that on to me. I mean, I sort of learned my own techniques of doing it, but I also went around with, you know, blue eyeliner, oh, yeah. blue mascara for years. It was like the thing. Right? <laughs> so uh, what did you do? What was your first job out of education? I started working really early, obviously working with my dad because, you know, age wasn't a factor. You just go and you help so you can contribute at home. But he cleaned lots of funeral homes and that was so scary for me. So I was like, I couldn't wait to like get another job. I can imagine. So I lied on my um, application and said I was 16, but I was really 14 going on 15. And I got a job at Burger King. I was like the best Burger King employee you can ever imagine. Like I memorized that Burger King menu. Like I didn't even have to use a cash register. I knew what your order was going to come up to. Like I was the best. I got the honor of being sent to Burger King school. I didn't know that there was such a thing. Wow. You know, that that was the first. <laughs> so that's where it all started. That's when I really started feeling special. I finished high school early moved out early and had my own place early. So I was really just kind of working to pay bills and live. The different jobs that I took, those small jobs, kind of just led me into something bigger. I uh, had a roommate and she was a nurse. 
And so I went to nurses aid school, started working in the hospitals and the nursing homes. And even though it felt good, like helping people, it didn't feel like this is what I was supposed to be doing, but it, it just, at least some parts of it felt good. But that nurse friend of mine, she took a job teaching at a nursing school. So there were a couple of days that she called out and I filled in for her. I told them that I would come in and I would handle the class. And that's where really Sparks started for me because I was doing something of service. I was doing the teaching that I always wanted to do. And it really felt empowering because I was in front of the class. It was a whole different energy. And, you know, so obviously I'm not a nurse. I wasn't supposed to be covering those classes, but I asked if I could do something at the school. And at the school, they allowed me to do like admissions and Long story short, I worked my way up to being the director of this nursing school. And I was only 19 at the time. Like, I was just fascinated um, just by the idea of building. I hated selling, but that was a big part of my job. All of these little things just kind of like, it's like little bits and pieces of things that you get a taste of that help you kind of like craft, like who it is you want to be. And the owners of this school, they were both entrepreneurs, And so from there, one of the owners was like, you know, would you like your own school? And at this point, I'm like 20. So like he opened another arm of the school and it was like, you need to work this. You need to fill the seats. You need to. So it really was another big taste of entrepreneurship. Uh, That part really felt really good. So then you had this moment where you're working as marketing director at a company publishing hair magazines. So how did you get there? I had fallen in love with this magazine called One World Magazine that Russell Simmons was doing at the time. And just it was a very different look at like urban culture and art and fashion. And I literally read the words in this magazine from beginning to end. I was like obsessed with it. And he happened to be at this club that I was at. And I was like, I just want to tell you that I really love your magazine, One World. And I would love an opportunity to either intern or or work there. And so he gave me the number of like the, I guess it was the the publishing director or whatever there at One World. Clearly I had no experience or background in fashion or writing or anything. So it was like, nice to meet you, but nothing here for you. But he was like, you know, I have a partner who works downstairs and he has a magazine too. He publishes beauty magazines. And so I went downstairs to meet him. And that's where it all started. I just worked for free doing things for him. And eventually there was a place for me. And I spent maybe six or seven years working there, like doing all different types of jobs. He introduced me to the world of beauty. And were you wearing it? No. Like, I still didn't know how to do anything with makeup. I was very basic. My blue eyeliner was my thing. I, you know, would cover the best that I can or put some powder on and have my eyeliner. But, you know, at this publishing company, they had photo shoots regularly. And I really became just enamored with the the energy of the photo shoot and just seeing, you know, they they shot like a lot of regular girls and a regular girl would come in and then she would leave looking like a supermodel. And I'd be like, what the heck? Like, how is this happening? So I just became a fan of the art. And um, and that's really where the bug of being a makeup artist came from. Um, I just fell in love with it. Yeah. So when that magazine suddenly shut, mm-hmm. you were left with this very short period where you had to find something to do. So did you instantly think, yeah, makeup artistry, just going to do that? Yeah. So it's really interesting. It all happened in a moment. Like that literally was the scariest but most exciting time of my life. 
I would take advantage of the things that were put in front of me, but I really wasn't creating my own story, right? And so if someone gave me an opportunity, I would grab onto it and just want to push it and milk it and do the best that I can. But it's not necessarily what I would have chose, if that makes sense. I just always felt like, okay, well, this is a step to the next thing. And, you know, at the time when that uh, publishing company closed, I was a single mom of two. So much of what I was doing previously was just to make sure that their lives were amazing. So if there's money to be made and I could provide, I'm just going to do it. I'm not saying no to anything because they're the priority. But I wasn't fulfilled or completely happy. And so at that moment, I was just like, okay, why don't I give myself a chance to like be happy (laughs) and be happy to wake up every morning and do something? And I was like, you know what? I'm just I want to be a makeup artist. It moved my like emotional, empathetic, you know, wanting to serve desire. And then it also fed my artistic desire, my love of color and the desire to create. And then at the same time, it was like, you know, this may be my opportunity to really be an entrepreneur and build something. So it like literally hit all of the buttons. Right. So let's move on to this next big chapter. Yes. <laughs> what actually happened if we're looking at the sort of biography <laughs> right. film? What happened? So, you know, obviously I'm just proclaiming to everyone I'm a makeup artist. No, like really you've never done makeup. People thought that I was having a nervous breakdown. So for a long time there wasn't, you know, pe- it's not like people didn't support me, but they didn't support this idea. You know what I mean? And so I was like, I have to figure this out. So I, I started just temping. I just took random temp jobs in offices just so I could earn. And I was on unemployment. I didn't have excess money to like buy makeup. And there wasn't a lot available at that time. At the time that I started makeup, like in 2000, it was really more about, you know, you needed a mentor. You needed somebody who would, who's A, going to teach you and then also bring you along everywhere that they go. And then eventually you can branch off. Well, I didn't have that opportunity. So I was like, okay, well, I know how to read. I'm going to read some books. And so I started just trying to go to the library and to research, like, who's a big makeup artist? Like, because this whole world was new to me. And the two people who obviously rose to the surface were Sam Fine and Kevin O'Quan. And so I just read their books from cover to cover and stared at their work and read their books and stared at their work and read their books and stared at their work, just trying to like burn it in my brain. And I would just ask myself questions like, like, why is this different? And so I would kind of look at other pictures of other people doing makeup. And then I would look at their pictures and I was like, you know, you know, the difference is that I feel something when I see this, it's very dimensional. It's full. Like the reaction is emotional. It's just not like a tactile thing. And that really resonated with me. And so as I would get an unemployment check, I would buy an eyeshadow or a thing, you know, and I would still tell everybody I'm a makeup artist. And so one day a friend of mine was like, "Okay, this makeup artist thing, if you're a makeup artist, you need to be actually doing the art. And so if you feel like you're good enough, I have a friend, she's getting married. She doesn't wear makeup at all. She didn't even want a makeup artist for her wedding. She was just going to just do her regular thing. So I want to gift you to her. I'm not paying you, but you're her gift. So I was like, okay, I can do this. And I I literally remember this so vividly. I got my unemployment check on a Thursday. The wedding was on a Sunday, I believe. And so Thursday, I went to Walgreens and I bought my um, Kevin O'Quinn book. And I think it's in Making Faces where he has all the tools. I was just like, all right, need Q-tips, need these triangular wedge things. Need I literally built a kit in Walgreens and then um, I, w- I knew her what she looked like from a picture. 
So I bought like kind of shades around it and I bought like something darker and something light. Then I made this kit and I showed up to do this wedding. Wow. Yes. And whenever I tell the story, people like cringe. because I was like, you could have ruined this girl's wedding. That doesn't mean that I didn't go to the bathroom like 17 times and cry. Like, what do I do next? Ah. You know, but I did the bride and I did three bridesmaids and it just felt really good. You know, and I don't know what I don't know. So they weren't makeup wearers. So to them, it was great because it was more than what they normally do. And the father, I remember at the end, came to me and handed me an envelope of $300 in cash. And he was just so happy that his his daughter looked so beautiful. And I was just like so emotional. And I was like, $300, you know how... You know how long I have to work to make this $300 in cash? Like, it was like he gave me a gold brick. I was like, this is great because I had just spent half of my unemployment check. And it just so happened that there were like publishers of magazines that were at the wedding and they reached out, you know, do you do makeup? Do you want to do this thing? And I said, no, like I kept saying no, because I was like, I don't even know how to do makeup. And I was like, I just really need to learn. So I just started reaching out to photographers that used to shoot at the publishing company that I worked at. And eventually they allowed me to come and work for free, just doing faces. And that's how it all began. Wow. That I've, again, another first. <laughs> For the podcast. <laughs> I was going to say that I love that you have self-taught still on your website there, because I think that it's so inspiring to hear that you wanted to do something and you found a way to do it that didn't involve going through the system and that you ha- you've had great success doing that. I think that's a really lovely thing to hear because Thank you. there isn't just one way to be an artist and, and makeup artistry is, is artistry just as much as any other kind of art. As promised in the intro, I'm going to give you a little more information about Parfumado. The cult Amsterdam-based fragrance subscription service is quite clever. Think Beauty Editor sends you, or a loved one, either a niche or well-known fragrance monthly in delightful Parfumado packaging. They offer a great variety of scent goodies, including fragrance gift boxes containing three scents in eight milliliter bottles, personalized room sprays, full-size bottles of favorite scents, perfume accessories and gift cards to send to loved ones which by the way is what I'm getting my mum for Christmas this year as she's so into perfume and I can't think of anything she'd like more than a new one to try each month. A monthly subscription where you'll receive an 8ml scent a month is £12.95 but if you use my code which will be in the show notes you can get 50% off your first subscription. You can, of course, buy the gift cards right up to Christmas Day. Phew. But if you want a physical Parfumado gift box of three fragrances in your hands beforehand, you'll have to get your order in by the 13th of December. The gift box costs $49.95, but you can use the code MADDIE15, that's MADDIE with an IE, to get 15% off it and across the entire gift shop. Just a note if you're signing up, whether it's for a month or a year, the rolling subscription service has no joining fee and can be cancelled at any time, so you're very much in control. The website is uk.parfumado.com. I'll pop a link to it below in the show notes, along with the discount code, so you have all the information in one place. Thanks for powering today's episode, Parfumado, and let's go back to Danessa now. How did you go from working makeup artist to working with brands? And then you worked with Benefit and you had this sort of big career where I want to say you were a makeup artist who was working with other people's brands. Yeah, for sure. A lot of the um, hairstylists from the magazines would reach out to me and were like, I see you're doing makeup. Can you teach me? 
um, because, you know, they give away a lot of uh, bridal income by calling in a makeup artist. I'm like, you could do this. Like, trust me, if I could do this, you could definitely do this. And so I just started teaching and I would teach like 10 people at well, two people at a time and it turned to six and then to 10. And so education became a big part of what I was doing and it really felt good for me. And so it got to a point where I just couldn't teach enough people. And so I started making DVDs and so many of the, much of my audience that knows me now, they knew me from those early DVD days. And there were some people who were like, what's a DVD? But there was no YouTube or anything like that. And I was making these DVDs, um, like full length DVDs, like step-by-step. And um, I think I ended up with like 20 volumes or so. And the only environment that I knew to really um, sell these DVDs was in the hair show environment because that's that publishing company was very much in that world. And so I asked them if I could teach at the hair show and have a booth at the hair show to sell these DVDs. And that's pretty much how I was introduced to all these other brands because my class would be full and they would see like all of these people in my class, you know, the DVDs were circulating like all over the world. And so they would see me and it's really started with the Korean beauty supply store brands because they were creating makeup for women of color, but really didn't understand how. And so because I had education and they saw me teaching, they figured that I would be the one to show them how to do that. And so that's where my interaction with brands began. And um, I never developed a product in my life, but I knew what looked good and what didn't, what worked and what didn't. And that's really how it started. Something that's just been occurring to me while you've been talking about this period of your life is that you have said nothing about experiencing imposter syndrome, nerves at being somewhere when you hadn't, you know, done the schooling that other people thought you meant to do or whatever it is. Did you just have, did you not feel any of that or did you override it? Oh, are you kidding me? I feel that to this moment. I feel that in this moment talking to you, I even asked myself, like, why would she invite me on this podcast? I feel that every day. And it honestly was something that, held me back for so much of my early experience in makeup because, you know, I I was afraid to say yes to things because I always felt there's something that I don't know and I'm not going to be able to service them properly because I didn't have any formal education. So even though I was having success in doing things, it always felt like there was more, there was more that's missing. That's why it's important to understand like why you're doing something and to do something that you love. Because when there's passion behind it and then when there's purpose, you can push past all of that stuff. Right. And so I think that was really it. It was, that's what kind of just drove me. And then again, my dad, I've just closed my eyes. Like really, he had nothing and you have all the opportunity in the world and access to as much resource as you need to figure things out. So there's really no excuse. So I think it was a combination of all those things. <laughs> Tell me about Colorfix and starting your own brand. I'm so excited by the products. You've gone for it. There are color, <laughs> like there's every color. The oh textures my God. Are like what, what made you dream it up and what made you so determined to do it your way? One of the things that I was always attracted to are pencils because you can get a pencil very inexpensively and I learned the power of working with a cream product that has a lot of pigment. And so I spent much of my career like having a kit full of pencils that I use for eyeshadows, for lip liner, to make blush, to make brow. Like it was just, I, so I really learned how to, the power of a cream formula. 
And I was able to make that pencil do everything. So I know that it's possible. I even came up with ideas and philosophies on how you layer pencils with pigments because like it was the core of my artistry. So of course, when I was like, I want to make something on my own, I, I really revert back to my early days and was like, you know, what I needed was something that can do everything. I couldn't afford to buy a thousand things. Like I needed everything to be like really practical and really perform. And so when I'm dreaming up products, I'm like, who wouldn't want this one thing that can do everything? I just wanted to have something that was durable. It's going to be long wear. You, it's not going to wipe off. It's going to work regardless of what the skin tone is. It's going to wear all day. I can mix it with anything I want and still going to perform. Like it was literally the product that I dreamed of my whole life having. And how hard was the process of doing it? Because again, it's like the quality of it and the pigment is so high you know at what point were you pushing back and also with budgets I know it's really hard when you're launching a brand so how were you managing that Oh my gosh. So first of all, I had to be my own chemist, my own like supply chain manager, my own negotiator. It was a mess and you know People who have experienced Colorfix from the very beginning took the journey with me because the formula 100% was always great, but the packaging wasn't always great. And then the cap, there was a thing with a cap and then a thing with a tube. I was kind of like learning as I go. That's why I'm so grateful for my audience, people who've like been there with me from day one because they're like, yeah, you messed that up, but we're here. We'll, we'll, we'll do the next one. And so it was an evolution. But the thing that always saved me was that that formula was always perfect in the world of makeup and knew like what it had to be in order for somebody to want to purchase it and purchase more. And so in 2018 or 19 is where Colorfix really settled in. Okay, now I know it needs to be in this kind of tube, this kind of tip, this kind of thing. In 2019, it really went kind of bananas. And then obviously 2020 is when we won our Laura Best in Beauty Award. And, you know, that means so that award means so much to me because I know <laughs> what <laughs> I went through with that product. And I'm like, oh, somebody's recognized it for the beautiful thing that it is. So, yeah, it was an evolution, to say the least. Wonderful. <laughs> when we were planning this chat, one of the things I struck by is that you divide up your week as much between business and makeup artistry to keep you inspired, to keep your mind ticking in that way. As a makeup artist, I wanted to ask you some questions about, well, firstly, which faces you make up that make you feel creative, that excite you still? Is there anyone in particular that you love doing? Yeah. So, you know, I'm always finding new muses and most of the models that I work with are not, they don't start off as being models. They're not signed with agencies or anything like that. They just, you know, want to experience the model world and I just like to play. So it's like the perfect marriage. But I I love things that are, I don't want to say not normal. I just love anything that's different. So you, you'll find like that. I went through a phase where if you had a bald head, oh yeah, you need to come because I like obsessed about how beautiful um, women are with no hair at all. Like it literally was an obsession for me. And so like anything that's quirky or different or out of the norm, like I'm super attracted to it. So if I would say to you, someone you've not made up, either living or dead, but just a face that you think, if I could have that face in front of me and make it up, that would be mm. a dream. Is there anyone that comes to mind? Honestly, 
not off the top and it's not like there's like a celebrity that I always wanted to do. I think early in my career, maybe, but now I think the fantasy is in the newness, like in someone that I haven't seen, like the new fresh face. So I'm inspired every day. I'm inspired every time somebody new comes in. So it's hard to like put a finger on a, on less like, oh, that person would be it. But if I had to say something, I, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with Willow Smith. I think she's just so interesting and eclectic. You know, I'd be like, oh, yeah, any day, like pay me nothing. Yes, please. Come on. Like, let's do this. Uh, for anyone listening who's afraid of experimenting with makeup, who's, you know, stuck to their mum's blue eyeliner their whole life, yeah, and just doesn't right. know what to do next. What would you say? I mean, I would tell them that my entire life changed because I was in a full-fledged experimental state for years and years of my life. I think experimentation is necessary to move any industry forward, to to move humanity forward. Somebody did something different, right? It changed who I am as a person, just doing something that's a little bit different, just trying. You don't know what you don't know, right? I would say, you know, I meet a lot of makeup artists. So much of my time is mentoring artists and training artists. And many of them have gone to school. And I just see what happens when somebody spends like money and time to have someone tell them where possibility begins and ends. And it really just kind of locks them up as an artist. As much as that imposter syndrome has kicked in so much of my career, I'm also grateful that I never went to school because I wouldn't be who I am today. I would just say, like, you have no idea how your life can open up when you just take a moment to experiment. 100%. So how do you look after yourself today? You're busy. You're a mum. You've got a business. You're a makeup artist. You have, like, 10 minutes free and you phone someone like me up and have a chat. (laughs) What settles you? And also, was that a thing that anchored you throughout this insanely busy life that you've led? I read a lot. I'm always digging for like something that can help ground me because as an entrepreneur, as a mom, like things can be, it can go way up or way down very, very quickly. And I always wanted to find a way to be level. And so I'm always like reading and just trying to learn from different thought leaders. And then the string that seems to be the current in all of the conversation in schools of thought is always like service. And so I really focus a lot of my energy on being in service, which is why I do a lot of mentoring. I'm always like, okay, how can I give, right? And I found that in giving, it's very settling. It's very, it, it, you sit in gratitude. The level of appreciation is different and all of those things. So I I do a lot of service, but in doing service, you learn that you can't serve other people unless you're taking care of yourself. And so I've learned to prioritize things like meditation, like exercise, eating well, all of those things. I need to be better in order to be a better service. And so I think all of that has just helped me to survive like all of the crazy, just really taking the time to take care of me. That like that self-management is important. And when I don't take the time, I see the results, you know. And so I think, you know, I'm I'm 50 now, so I had a lot of years to kind of figure it out. (laughs) Let's finish with the three questions I ask all my guests. First, what would you consider to be your greatest achievement, professional or personal? I think my greatest achievement has been feeling the fear and doing it anyway. It's like the motto of your life story, huh? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) If you could return to a younger version of you, what advice would you give them and what age would you return to? Wow. I think I would go back to my school age years. 
and nurture the art, like my desire to play, nurture that more. And also I would just tell my younger self, like what people say really doesn't matter. It, you know, it's how you feel about you that's going to create your happiness. I think so much of my life was just like combating or hiding from the things that people would say um, to limit me. And I could only imagine if I had drowned out all the noise, like how I could have contributed, you know, to, to date. Like where would I really actually be if those things didn't matter for me? Which three people, living or dead, would you invite to a dream dinner party? And what would you cook? So this is the hardest. And so I had to take family member out of it because, you know, my dad would have to be there. If I took my uh, family members out of it, I would say Michelle Obama, who like for me is like the epitome of everything a woman can be, should be a mother, like everything about her is just incredibly inspiring. I would invite Wayne Dyer because he's been just so influential and just um his teachings and then his uh, lifelong uh, service, just his background and, and how, in spite of it all, he was able to create and to inspire, you know, millions of people around the world. And I would invite Jay Shetty's wife, Roddy, <laughs> because she'd be the life of the party and she'd be cooking because I <laughs> am not a good cook. So to have somebody so spiritually grounded and so fun to be around, but also an amazing cook, I think that would be like a perfect dinner situation. (laughs) Thank you so much for making time to come on, Danessa. It's been such a pleasure to chat. Oh my God, thank you. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 